Hello and welcome to Rugby World Magazine's One Game at a Time. In this episode, we speak to a man who played a major part in one of the most unforgettable games ever to take place. Jordan Crane has played for Leeds, Leicester, Bristol and England in a brilliant 15-year playing career which is continuing into coaching down at Bristol. But one of the 223 appearances he made for Leicester Tigers was the Heineken Cup semi-final versus Cardiff in 2009. The game was tied after extra time and became one of the very few games in which World Rugby has seen a penalty shootout. Talking to Jordan was a genuine pleasure. We talked in detail about the imperious Leicester of the time, an unrelenting run of games, a formidable coaching partnership, and we find out how nerves can affect anyone. The YouTube clips, there's two, one of the game and one of the penalty shootout, are there for you to watch along with, and it is a captivating game. It's a special listen. I hope you enjoy it. This is one game at a time. Jordan Crane. How are you, Jordan? Are you well? I'm good. I'm not too bad. Yeah, enjoying retirement, so all good. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I'm going to take you back down memory lane today. Um, uh, welcome to One Game at a Time. The rules of this podcast mean I get to speak to one player about one game, and when your name came up as someone who may be open to interview, there was really only one game on my mind. Uh, I'm sure you get asked about this game a huge amount, but 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 as a day, as a piece of sporting theatre, where does it sit in in your view of your career? It's become one of those things where you sort of you don't want to. It's not a massive. It is a highlight, but it's not if you know what I mean. Um, just because you know a lot of people didn't enjoy it in terms of rugby, but from my background being football, like I always dreamt to playing an FA Cup final, scoring the winning penalty in an FA Cup final. Um, my family was always football. So the theatre of penalties, like the 1990 World Cup, watching Brazil-Italy in 94, 96 with England, 98 with England, that was what I was brought up on. That was that was what I always wanted to do. So it was kind of, it's sort of bittersweet because well, it's the only time it's ever happened in, in professional rugby. So um, it's not looked on the same as football. So it's sort of, if I put it up there, like, yeah, it's, it's a highlight. It's, I prefer to say that I've done it than I've not done it. it. It doesn't stack up to the premierships and stuff like that that we won. We're going to dive into history. A brief question about that. Did, did you get any time as a player to spend in the past did you did you sort of have weekends off where you thought oh yeah I'll just I'll just sort of slip back into nostalgia and remember those great moments or or was it very as a player are you very much in the present I think probably as I've got older um I've looked back and thought oh yeah that was good time brilliant but like I remember the month that we're going to talk about now so we played Cardiff semi-final 100 minutes week later we played Bath Premiership semi-final won London Irish Premiership final won didn't celebrate straight back on the bus straight back into training finished up losing by three points to Leinster ended up just you know all of us losing our head getting absolutely steaming week later meeting up with England playing Argentina at Old Trafford a week later and it was just literally like wham 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 five of the biggest games of my life all in the space of five weeks and no real time to sort of reflect or you know it was my first big premiership final that I'd won playing so in 2007 we won it 
but I played a lot of games during the season, but I didn't play the final. Uh, 2008, we lost in the final. So 2009, my first on the on the scene playing, I scored scored the winning try, but just no time to reflect, no time to to sort of live those memories. But literally looking back now, like if I had to pick like a month to go back to my career, that would be it because it was literally five games, absolutely massive on the truck. Do you have time to enjoy it when it happens? I mean, it sounds as though you you're kind of moving from one so quickly into the other. You, you perhaps don't have the opportunity in which to say, wow, that was brilliant. Yeah, yes and no. Like, we enjoyed it. Don't worry about that. But, you know, I, I, think, I think that was a big exception. Usually, the, like, I was so lucky at Leicester that we, my first seven years, we went to seven Premiership finals. You know, no, that's sort of unheard of. I know Saris have gone to a lot, but seven in a row and you know usually that was the last game of the season so that's where everything would be tailored to if we didn't make that it wasn't a successful season if we didn't win that it wasn't a successful season that was where the bar was set that's where the pressure was at Leicester at the time I remember 2008 we got to two finals the power gem what it was back then at Twickenham Prem final against Wasps lost Marcelo and Freda got sacked now, most teams would bite your hand off to get to two finals, win or lose. <clears throat> so that was where the bar was at. So usually that was the last game and then we would celebrate for or drink out that, drown our sorrows for a bit after that. So all you want to do is play in the biggest games and I got to play and stack a lot of them up in one month. So it was good. Let's talk of Leicester in 2009. You, you sort of referenced it there. Uh, they were Im- imperious. I-, I spoke to Skulk Brits uh, a few weeks ago about the 2011 Premiership final and Saracens overcoming Leicester on that day. And-, and he talked about just how tough, how resolute, how difficult to beat Leicester were. And yet, if you look at it as a, as a run of seasons leading up to that point, uh, Pat Howard had had a couple of years, I think. Uh, 2006, he-, he built the team. I think he brought you in, if I- I'm-, I'm not mistaken. Um, a-, a lot of big forwards. Then you had this bizarre reign of... Marcelo Lafredo, which you, you mentioned there, which, which ended you know, in you winning stuff, but him losing his job, the Heineken Mayer nine-match stint, and then Richard Cockrell taking over, the confirmation of the, his permanent role happening just before, you know, the month before this, this game happened. In many ways, that sounds, when you lay it out like that, that sounds like a, a terrible run of situations to sort of build a world-class team, and yet you were. Why was that? I think, you know, we had, we had a core of players who knew what it took to win and then everyone else came with it. So you, t- you talk about Heineken Mayer, he was there six months, but you can't underestimate the foundations that he put in. Um, so obviously the two that we, Pat Howard, we got to three finals, 2006-07, um, could have done the treble, but lost to Wasps in the Heineken final. Then, as I mentioned, with Marcelo Lafredo, got the sack. So we were sort of in turmoil. Some big, big players leaving as well. At the end of that year, we we lost a few. Um, and Heineken Mayer came in, and he just took it very much back to basics. Hard work. We just needed to hit that reset button after probably Marcelo Lafredo, bit of um, obviously Pat Marcelo Lafredo, hit the reset button. So that preseason was one of the toughest that I've ever done even to date now even how far the game's gone on just it was old school um, you know typical South African we were direct to start off with 
But what he did, which was the game changer, he brought Matt O'Connor in, who for me is up there as one of the best coaches that I've ever worked with. He added the stuff that we needed. So Heineke obviously installed that hard work, that the team spirit that we needed because we were probably lost a little bit. And then Matt added all the sort of the sophistication, the game plan that we needed to to do it. So Heineken lay all those foundations and then obviously Coppers is Coppers. He builds a pack and builds that mindset that, you know, that nobody can do but but him really. We we, we were going really well and then Heineken announces he's leaving and Coppers is taking over. But then that was when Coppers and Matty, they became sort of, I know Coppers was the head, but, you know, they were both equal and they and probably they'll both admit that they're obviously Cox is doing a great job at Edinburgh now, but their careers have never been as successful as when those two were together. And they're probably completely opposite in terms of personalities as well. So no, it was just a, just a good match. And, and that was what we, we loved. We all loved Matty and we all hated Cockers and that was the way. So like, like a good rugby team, it was all about the sum of its parts, the, the, the bringing together of all those different pieces. I mean, am I, am I right in thinking, I mean, Le- Leicester in 2009, the other end of 2009, beat, you beat the Springboks at Welford Road, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, unfortunately, I didn't play. I played for England the next day and lost to Australia. <laughs> no, yeah, that was the surgeons of Manu Tulangi bursting onto the scene. So... Yeah, no, it was, it was just it was just good times to be involved with the club. Let's talk about this match, uh, a Heineken Cup semi-final. Uh, we shall look through the teams in a minute, but the, but the pressure was on, obviously, because it is a big game. C- can you remember the build-up to this game at all? What what were you as a team thinking? I can't can't really remember. I remember that the week before we'd absolutely obliterated Bristol at the Walkers, put seventy odd points on them. So we were obviously in good form. We we're obviously playing some good stuff. But, you know, going to Cardiff, in Cardiff, with them off the back of, they were building towards that moment for the couple of years before that. So, was it the year before that they'd won the, the Challenge Cup, maybe? Um, so, you knew what they were building. You knew the team that they had. They full of Welsh internationals, added with Xavier Rush, Molotika, uh, Paul Tito, you know, just, just real good operators. So you knew that it was it was going to be stacked against us to go there into Cardiff and win. But, you know, if there was a team who could do it, it was probably Leicester at that time. You mentioned it there, the amount of Wales players. And again, we'll look at the team in a minute. The amount of, of good players, quality international players on the, Le- on the Leicester side as well. Did it have a feel of an international game in, in all but name? Yeah, for me, like... Most Heineken Cup games are sort of at that level. The, the the big ones, you know, they've just got a different feel to them. And it's strange and saying, but like even the big nights at Welford Road, like you could just feel it. It was just different, which is, is strange to say. But, you know, all those big Heineken Cup games, they're as close to international rugby as you could get. Let's have a look at the teams. The Cardiff team, I'll run down for the people listening on the podcast, 15 and fullback. Ben Blair, 14 and right wing Lee Halfpenny. The centres, Tom Shanklin and Jamie Roberts. On the left wing, Tom James. Halfback, Nicky Robinson and Richie Reese for the Blues. Front row, Gethin Jenkins, Gareth Williams and Taufel Felici. And uh, the second row, Bradley Davis. 
uh, five, Paul Tito, and the back row of Mama Molotika, Martin Williams playing at seven, and Xavier Rush. That, that is a hell of a good team. Had you spoken or had you talked about any particular names from that team to, to sort of focus on? I think, obviously, you go through that team, there's, there's plenty, plenty of standout players. Um, so, you know, you have to show respect to them all. We'd, we'd probably, we'd spoke a lot about Xavier Rush. He was the big talisman for them, the big ball carrier. So we couldn't let him dictate to us and get over the game line at will. Ben Blair was, was class at the back. You know, so there was diff- different parts. Martin Williams over the ball, so you know we had, we had to look after the breakdown and make sure that we we got to him. But you know, there's so many of them in that team. When you when you play at that level, it's almost you can't really pick out one or two. You've got to show respect to the whole team, and you know you've just got to mentally be there to to deal with what they bring. The Leicester side was as follows: fifteen and fullback Jordan Murphy. On the right wing, Scott Hamilton, centres Dan Hipkiss and Sam Vesti. Uh, Johnny Murphy on the left wing, halfbacks Toby Flood and Julian Dupuy. Front row, Marcus Ayetz, George Shooter, Martin uh, Castro Giovanni. The second row, Tom Croft and Ben Kay partnered up. And in the back row, Craig Newby, uh, open side Ben Woods, and then yourself, Jordan Crane. This is a horrible question, a ridiculous question, because it's a team sport and that team is an incredible team. But I'm just interested to know what your answer might be. Who's the best player in that team? Uh, Jordan Murphy. The stuff that he could do was just ridiculous. Absolute magician. Like you, like if you if you want a fullback, especially the way the game was played back then, the ball's going in the air. You know that he was going to catch the ball, no doubt about it. And just the the skill that he had was was ridiculous. There's obviously some unbelievable players there, but. Um, yeah, Jordy Murphy, but though. Had you talked about a penalty shootout at all? No, no, we didn't even. To be honest, we fin- I finished that hundred minutes. I didn't even. I thought we were going to like Golden Point or something. Didn't even. Didn't even know that there was such thing. Let's uh, run a tape of the game. I've got. I've got two clips to watch from. Uh, we might stop and start them if people want to join in from home. But uh, one of the game itself and then one of the penalty shootout. Talk, talk us through the game, if you will. Um, you, you happen to be, as we run the tape now, I'm going to press play on the YouTube clip and the, and the ball off the boot of Nicky Robinson flies up in the air. You're the, you're the first person to touch the ball. And then, of course, the last as well. Just talk us through uh, gathering a start like that. Is that, uh, is that talk through? Is that a plan? Do you, every sort of, restart every kickoff that there's a plan with who it might go to and what you might do not really you look at the kickoffs before the game see which side they stack traditionally the number eight always stood back to take that sort of longish kickoff into the 22 to carry the ball but I always find as a number eight like if you get that kick it's always nice to have an early carry you know just to get your hands on the ball carry the ball like probably as I got older my game changed but Back then, I was sort of carrying the ball 20 times a game. So it was just nice to get that early involvement in the game so you're ready to go. And if you went forward, you thought, oh, yeah, here we go. You get smashed, you're like, oh, maybe not again. So, um, no, it was, it, was, it was always nice to get an early touch, especially in a big game like that. You're famous for your scrum cap. Why do you wear one? So my when I first started playing at 14, my nan said that I couldn't play unless I wore a scrum hat. So I had a blue one then, and that was what I wore throughout my whole career. I uh, just just stuck with it, yeah. I've uh, I've stopped the tape, and uh, and we're watching uh, 
Ben Blair kick at goal, and it was a, a feature of the of the day. Um, and there were some there were some quality kickers, and we'll, we'll see them kick goals all afternoon. Uh, this actually rolling on now. We're around the thirty second mark. Is uh, the the opening try? Talk us through what you can see here again. A Jordan Murphy, as if by magic. As I said, if you want one man to catch the ball, Jordy Murphy. There you go. Um, yeah, so. Toby Flood does what he does, offload Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton at the time probably absolutely on fire, like came over from New Zealand. Probably not too many people really knew who he was, few caps, but for us, he was such a good player and everything, he couldn't have been any more Leicester if, if you want. He was sort of no nonsense, but had that absolute class. Proper good player, yeah. And and Toby Flood's offload there, the freeing of the arms. This was, you know, 2009. This was this was Toby Flood at his at his very best, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Well, this game um, later in the second half, he snaps his Achilles, and um, you know, as we spoke about at the start, that the month this was the first game of the month, and you know, if he'd have been fit we'd have probably won the Heineken Cup. We lost to Leinster by three. Is he worth more than three points? Probably at this point. Uh, Sam Vesti was a first receiver there. And again, ball players. And you, you look nowadays at, at the way that sort of 10 and 12 axis works. You could sort of see it in the way that you set up there with, with two ball playing men at 10 and 12. Yeah, so this Vesti was unbelievable for us in the, the running. I think he, he didn't play at the start of the season and then February time, January, February, came into the team and just started carving up. I think he ended up getting like RPA player of the year or premiership player of the year. He only played from January onwards, but he was just so influential for us, uh, steady in the ship. He was just a good footballer, could play all across the back line. You know, so he's just just a good, good player who, who you know knew what he's doing. We're around the two-minute mark, and um, Lee Halfpenny is uh, is slotting them from in his own half. W- was there talk on the day, if not before, about the fact that this was a team you couldn't give penalties away to? Um, yeah, because we knew how good Ben Blair was at kicking. I don't think we expected Lee Halfpenny to be stepping up and banging him from fifty. I think he was only about twenty. Here. It was what it was one of those. We we knew how good that. They were a kick in, but you know, sometimes you've got to give away a couple of penalties, haven't you? <laughs> sometimes you have. Um, into the uh, half time sheds, uh, upper point, uh, and then we see Johnny uh, Murphy down the left hand side. And, and this is classic Leicester, the way that you build this. Talk us through the speed with which you go through the phases. Yeah, so here we, I spoke, spoke a bit about Matt O'Connor and what he brought. He'd get the nines running. And when he, when he spoke about the nines running, he'd want the 10 to flatten up on the edge of it. So even if there was no forwards there to, to get the ball, the 10s could still hit that hole. So you see there, Dupuis goes in and out, pulls in the defenders. Toby Flood just comes up on the outside of it and there you get, you get your gap. So there wasn't even any forwards there to play with, but just simple enough, pulls in, pulls in the forwards and to a hole for Toby Flood and then Jordy's under the poster. Makes the game look pretty simple, doesn't it? Oh, if it's that simple, it'd be good. Eh? <laughs> Score plenty of tries. Indeed, uh, more points from the boot of Julian Dupuis and uh, and Leicester sort of pulling away, and and then all of a sudden, fourteen points. If Julian had kicked a couple more in the first half, we wouldn't have had the panic shootout, so that'd have been all right. But we went up those fourteen points, and then then we were holding on a little bit, and. You know, we, we had a big stand on our line for a while and we had a couple of Simbins, I think, 
Um, uh, new Craig Newby got Simbind, who was having a stormer at the time. Um, and then I think maybe Geordie or somebody gets Simbin later on. Yeah, Jordan Murphy. Um, so we're sort of down to 13. So we've gone from absolutely bossing the game um, to sort of hanging on a little bit. Um, and as, as you see, uh, Cardiff come back at us. Let's start the, uh, the YouTube clip, three minutes and 27 seconds. This is Jamie Roberts um, doing what Jamie Roberts does. Oh, yeah. You know, he's been class for his whole career, but here he's really, really firing. And he's a big old unit as well, so when he gets moving, there's no way. As soon as he breaks the line, it's going to be difficult to stop him. But, you know, the, the fact that he still scores out wide and we're still... You know, we're still seven, still nine points up at this stage. Ben Blair's got a kick it from the touchline. and still thinking, yeah, you know, if you're a better man, you're still thinking, yeah, Leicester are going to go on and win and see it out. And we just, we, we sort of, I don't know, had a bit of a brain fart for six minutes and it cost us an extra 20 minutes in a penalty shootout. It's a, a wonderful conversion from Blair and they, they had the momentum, didn't they? And, and then from the restart, it kind of happens all over again. What did you get wrong here? I mean, oh, put your coach's head on. What did you get wrong here? So for, so for me, watching it back now, I'm like, what, what, what are Cardiff going to do? They're going to run the ball. So one, why, am I, why do I stay back? I should be in that front line chasing. But then if you, if you look there, we end up with one less in the backfield because Jordan's been sending. So there, I'm probably on the wrong side. I should just go and tackle Tom James if he throws it back inside. Hopefully somebody else will come and make the tackle. Um, but I sort of try and cover two defenders and then he beats me quite easily and goes round. But if, you, if you're doing it, if you're playing again, you put everyone in the front line and make them run it out from their own 22. Maybe leave one at the back, one and a half at the back. you know. And we could have sit, saw the game out there and then. But instead, um, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It is. And, and Ben Blair, as cool as you like, this is, uh, this is an incredible conversion. Uh, and, you know, we, we're sort of re-looking. I stopped the tape there and, and re-looking at the, the way that they broke you down. Uh, and, and you can almost feel the game sort of slipping as you watch you, you know, sort of grasp at thin air as Tom James whistles past you. You can almost feel the, the, the sort of feeling on, on the pitch. It must have been one. And then to see him slot this, oh. your, your hearts must have sunk. Yeah, you know, from the touchline again, same place. You're thinking he can't do it again. And he absolutely drills it straight from the middle. So, you know, the thing about rugby, momentum's a big thing. And uh, we've really lost the momentum there. And, you know, with the, with, they've got the home crowd, they've got the sport. You go from being in control to now everything being stacked against you. You're almost like, what's happened? So within seven minutes, we've gone from in control, probably going to a Heineken Cup final, to we're going to lose this. Everything's against us. Um, how is this going to play out almost? Well, we're going to stop the tape there. We're going to go to the other tape, the other YouTube clip of the actual penalty shootout itself. But before we we press play on that, just talk us through the conversation once the whistle had gone and how it sort of filtered round about what was going to take place. 
Well, so obviously extra time first and it was very cagey, the extra time. It was pretty dull. Um, you know, uh, the ref didn't want to give anything. Um, I remember he wouldn't give a penalty either way and just cagey. So then we, we finished 100 minutes, um, longest I've ever played, absolutely out on our feet, coming in thinking, right, we're going to have to do another 10 minutes, golden point maybe, whatever they're like. No, no, it's a penalty shootout. Um, and you see half the guys go one way, head down, don't want to look anywhere. Then you see the few guys who are like, yeah, I'll take one. And I was very much in the camp like, yeah, I'll take one. No problem. I kicked a bit when I was younger. And as I mentioned, um, you know, the, the football background, like that's, that was what I'd lived for. That was what I'd always wanted to do. Um, you know, so I'd have probably took one earlier. But, you know, fate had it that I'd, I'd have that last one. But... Um, yeah, it was just weird because after me, there was some, some serious, shaky players, so it could have got interesting <laughs> after that. Harry Ellis was after me. He was trying to go to the other end of the pitch, trying to practice his kicking. And it was just like, oh, we're in trouble. Actually, the, the week after in training, we, we got the guys who didn't take one to step up. That was interesting. Julian White trying to, trying to kick a conversion from the 22. Let's press play on the uh, on the YouTube clip and uh, I mean, was there was there a list? I mean, had, had someone taken a pen and paper out there and, and written down names? Is that how it worked? Yeah, yeah, it's like the old school football list. You know, you had your first five, and then we're like, right, who's after that? Who's after that? So you knew exactly when you were going to be up, almost waiting. But it was we were sort of waiting in a huddle. I remember we were all together in in a huddle, just sort of. Some watching, some not watching. I was, I was watching. I was like, oh, here we go. So, yeah, you you expect the first guys to to slot them over. Um, obviously, Ben Blair was never going to miss. Our first guys would have probably like Floody on the pitch right now to to have kicked one. Uh, Dupuy, you'd expect him to kick it, obviously. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you thought it's going to take somebody to shank on. It's going to be the pressure at the end of the day. It's not anything to do with the ability. What was the crowd like? What was the atmosphere from the crowd like? Do you remember? Uh, not really. Obviously, it was buzzing. It was 55,000 or whatever, but you saw it's just all a blur, especially when, when you're about to kick. Like, silent. Like, literally, you just about silent, blur, not really thinking of anything. Probably because I was so young, didn't really care in some some extent. Um, didn't really feel that pressure. Probably if it was five years later, I'd have felt a lot of pressure. Was there anybody who knew that they weren't taking kicks coming up to you and speaking to you? Did did people leave you alone because they knew that, that what you were about to do? Oh, yeah. No, nobody... Uh, Nobody's out there dishing advice. Whatever advice they're going to give you, it's not going to make any difference at that point, you know. Um, just weird, weird. So we're there. We're just like, what will be, will be. Waiting. Obviously, the formalities of the first few, they all, they all slot it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was so surreal because it had never happened before. You never, you didn't really know how it was going to play out. Like, you'd expect 
most of your backs to be able to kick it from the 22 over the posts. Um, but obviously, you know, they look a lot. If we if we were just on a rugby pitch and stood on the 22, the posts would look pretty simple. They'd look pretty big. But I can tell you, 22 metres at that stadium with that crowd behind there, they look pretty small. Um, that was one thing I do remember. Do you remember any conversation with the opposition? Was there any, any, any moment where you looked over or was anyone else speaking to, to Cardiff or did you keep yourselves relatively separate? We're pretty, pretty separate, pretty separate, I think. I think once we miss one, uh, which, which happens in a minute, um, you know, we, Johnny Murphy misses uh, quite badly, you know. And Johnny, and Johnny has kicked for us in the past um, you know, I think just after Geordie had just kicked, kicked his one, then being the captain brings us all in together. And that's where we sort of form a huddle and just, you know, start talking amongst ourselves. Um, you know, Johnny misses and then it's, the huddle sort of changes. It's like, right, don't worry, boys. It just is what it is. We've got a semi-final next week. We need to get our heads on that because we don't think they're, they're going to miss. They've got one more kick. They kick it, they win. Um, you know, so our mood sort of shifts from anything thinking about this game to... This is it, isn't it? This is the Johnny Murphy yeah. kick. Him. So he, he misses this. But as I said, Johnny kicked in games for us. He's an actual kicker. And, you know, you talk about pressure, you talk about if he had that another 100 times, he'd kick it 100 times. Um, so now sort of our attitude changes and we start looking forward to next week. We're like, you know, just we need to rebuild, get ready for Bath next week. We need to go and win that, win the Prem. Um, so all of a sudden, we've gone from, right, we're in this, to forget about it, right, next week. A couple of us are watching, a couple of us are not watching. Um, boys are, like, getting around Johnny. Um, you know, I'm sort of, I think I'm sort of a little bit on the side trying to watch. And, um, you know, if Tom, Tom James kicks this, that's it. And you talk, about, you talk about the pressure. He just goes the other way that Johnny Murphy just went. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch this? Were you watching or were you not watching? Can you remember? Yeah, I was watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in Cardiff, you know, they obviously they were poised, ready, ready to win, ready to, to run over there. But... <laughs> You know, he he had some massive impacts in the game. He played really well in the game. Scored that try at the end, at the end um, to get him back in it. Um, so you know, like for him, like that's an awful way to for him to to miss it because he had played so well. This is where it's so um, cruel, isn't it? It's so cruel. Oh, of course it. Of course it. Is. You know, you know how footballers feel. Um, you know, because it's just. It's just common where rugby it's just it's not um, and it's not in the the mentality of rugby players. I don't think uh, Scott Hamilton steps up to take this one and to level the scores again. Um, uh, something was made in the commentary box about Aaron Major not taking one. He he kicked. Was was there a plan to to hold him back or did he not fancy it? What was going on there? No, I think Major. I think he'd um, so obviously he didn't start the game. He'd been struggling with his back. Uh, for for a little while, um, so it's sort of 
he was a bit stiff, bit creaky at this stage of his career. He might have retired at the end of this year or the year after, but, um, you know, he uh, was sort of like, if we need him, then he can go sixth, um, which we did need him and he, he slotted it. But we spoke about Scott Hamilton earlier, being a quality footballer, stepped up, kicked his kick, jogged back to the huddle, absolutely no problem. You get to feel it in a moment, but it is an incredibly lonely place. Is it? Is it the loneliest you felt as a rugby player? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 because it's just you. And that's, that's the thing, and you're just looking at it. And as I said, like, it's just a blur, quiet. That, that was how I felt, just, you know, staring there, ready to go. Um, it's probably the only time where, unless you're a, a kicker, obviously, um, it's probably the only time that you're there by yourself. It's, it's either you're going to do something that's going to really help your team or not. Uh, this this was one. This was one that I was like, I was watching this. Richie Reese's one. Oh, I did not miss that. Literally, the I was watch like you're watching it, and it seemed like it was in slow motion. You're like holding your breath. It looked like he was going to stick it in the top bin instead of just over the bar. It was like it'd have been a hell of a free kick if he'd have got it in. Um, but it's almost like you're just holding your breath, just hoping that it ducks under, but. Talk about this one as well. This is an incredible kick. Oh, noobs, noobs. Yeah, everyone knew noobs was going to kick it. As same as Scotty Hamilton, you know, probably a lot of people didn't, a lot of people maybe not knew too much about noobs before he came over, but oh, some player, you know, absolute skill set on him, could do everything, um, but as well, just hard working, just the sort of guy that you'd want in a Leicester pack, really. Did you know you were next? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I knew I was up next, so I was just waiting, waiting now to to see what happens. Like, I was probably in my head, I'm thinking, oh, Martin Williams will kick it, right, I'll go, I'll kick it, who's next? But, and, I, and I think probably everyone in the ground thought Martin Williams was going to kick it. Um, and, you know, you talk about a, a great player, you know, it's... It, He's obviously not defined defined by that moment because his career has been so good. But it's not the it's not what you want to see, really, is it? That's what that you know when I spoke about the start like that bittersweet. Um, you know when you see these sort of players doing that, it's it's kind of it's just a bit strange. Eh? Your celebration as well, slightly muted. <laughs> oh yeah. So before the game, my, um, my brother's uh, little girl, she was one at the time. Um, so before the game, he's, he's rang me up and he was like, oh, if you score, do this celebration. So she used to blow kisses with, with her mouth, mouth open. So I was like, oh, yeah, cool, no worries. Not thinking that I'd score, not thinking that I'd do anything, to be honest. So I was just like, yeah, no worries. So when uh, obviously kicked it, did it, and then it's like, you do it, you celebrate, you think, yeah, we're here. But then it's like, oh, weird incredible scenes an incredible day and and yes you've mentioned it you know you talk about the fact that you know you you did end up not quite fulfilling the, the Heineken Cup dream but you did defeat London Irish in the Premiership final you had a month that was quite extraordinary an amazing time to be involved and now now you're at Bristol and and you're again with a team that has huge potential 
and, and looks as though it's got all the sort of right sort of jigsaw pieces. Are there any similarities between the Bristol side that you're now involved with and, and, and that Leicester side of, of the late noughties? Um, I think we're building in the right direction. I don't think there's too many similarities. I think, um, you know, we're a completely different mould. We play a different brand of rugby. Um, you know, probably what we're built on is a bit different. Our culture is a bit different. Um, you know, so I think Leicester's Leicester. You know, especially of that era, it was it was a certain place. You had to be a certain type of person. Uh, you had to fit into that culture, or you you wouldn't last very long. Where you know Bristol, it's a lot more accommodating, and I think that's the way the sport's gone. I don't think that's necessarily Leicester or whatever. I think the players coming into the game now they're completely different to the, where they were ten years ago. But no, like Bristol, we've got a lot of stuff going our way. We've got a lot of stuff in place to make us successful. And, um, you know, that was why I signed for the club in the first place, because I wanted to make a difference of helping the club get back to where they should be. And the the aspirations that the owner and everybody at the club, the supporters have got, um, we were just, I was unlucky to, well, lucky or unlucky to have my first year here where struggled but then lucky to for Pat Lamb and his coaching staff to come in and and um, you know complete overhaul and he delivered everything that I signed up for um, which you know I'm grateful for and as much trophies that we won with Leicester and everything we did with Leicester I'm just as proud of what I've done with Bristol uh, playing a small part in, in helping them get back to where they are now. You've got a a coaching mindset now and we mentioned it and talked about the amount of different coaches that you've sort of had experience of are you finding yourself as a coach picking some of those best bits out of it and, and trying to sort of create a, a great coaching Frankenstein if you like yeah of course right because good or bad they all influence you because the good ones you're like oh well I want to take that I want to take that and bad ones you're like well, I definitely don't want to do that. So um, you're some, somewhere in between. So during this time, I spoke to a few coaches. Uh, obviously, Stuart Lancaster was the academy manager at Leeds when I was there. He was massive in getting me down uh, to Leeds from Colston's. Um, so, you know, I've had some great chats with him um, since lockdown. And, you know, obviously, Pat um, Cockers, Matt O'Connor, who I've mentioned, um, you know, massive influences on me and my career. Um, you know, so if I can take a little bit out of all of those and then find my own sort of um, philosophy and ethos, then, then I, hopefully I won't be too far wrong. Well, what a trip down memory lane it's been. It's been absolutely fabulous. A real indulgence for every rugby fan. Uh, good luck with your Bristol Bears endeavours. Uh, I know many of us will be watching with interest. You've been a super guest, Jordan Crane. Thank you for your one game at a time. Thank you very much. Cheers.